Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to week 15. Can you believe we're here almost at the end? And the the news of glad, bless you, I'm trying to think of, maybe I'm a little, this will be an interesting lesson if I'm not able to think clearly because I was up a little late last night. My, my news and my glad tidings are that all of your WebCT assignments are assessed and graded and all your emails are answered. And so please log into WebCT and check your grades. Make sure that everything that you expect to be there is there. In some cases, on the unit plan, and I don't think this happened on the uh, assignment for the smart notebook, um, but it lets there was there were you needed a little more work and you needed something to do when you logged in. Did it, did it give, to show you the note? Or I have you clicked on it. So you you can if you don't see a grade for the unit plan or the um, smart board lesson that you've turned in, you can um, click on that assignment on the home page of WebCT and it probably I probably returned it to you with a note saying, you know, please you know, fill in the italics part that says, um, you know, web resources, or in, in some cases I did that, and, and just depending on the situation, um, some of you may have received a grade too. Um, I need to receive your grade, all your submissions for all of your assignments before we have our final next week, so by the, you know, wee hours of the, of the morning on uh, next Wednesday, um, you need to get all of your assignments turned in. We will have our final next week, and I'm going to record a short, eh, I say short, probably 15 to 20 minute um, little audio study guide, which will be kind of like a hook for the test. I'm going to basically look at the look at the final, and I will not read the questions, but I will very directly mention things that we've talked about in class and, and reviewed, so that will be an opportunity for you. Um, I'm going to get that done tomorrow. So if you want to do that over the weekend or at any time before Wednesday, that is going to be on our uh, same lecture cast site. So I'll shoot a email out to you and a little text message, but it's going to be posted here on our lecture cast channel where we've been posting our audio for every week and uh, it'll be a lot shorter because it'll only be about 15 or 20 minutes, but that, that'll be, if you would like, an audio review of the things that will be on the test and I'll make sure I talk about the things that'll probably if there's anything to trip you up, like I'll talk about copyright and fair use and that kind of stuff, because that's probably the most complicated of the things that we've discussed and, and talked about. So this morning, um, we're, well, at the end of class, we're going to do our um, course evaluation, so don't let me forget about that, and I have to leave when, when we do that. Um, if you have not already, please check in by going to our Poll Everywhere link and uh, checking in. You'll probably notice when you go to your WebCT grades and look that I've got um, grades in for attendance. I also, we didn't do another blog checkpoint quiz, so everyone just got five points and it said blog overall. So every everything should be in except for your final. Um, so 90 points are in our course so far and there should be, there's another 10 points to come. So you can kind of look at that as far as your, your grade. If you want to resubmit any of those assignments, um, go ahead and do that, but you need to do all your resubmissions and everything before next week, before Wednesday. So, anybody have a question about uh, WebCT or um, the assignments or anything like that that you'd like to ask before we jump into a video and our app share and digital storytelling today? 
Okay. Um, I wanted to tell you how impressed and happy and, and pleased I was uh, looking at your scratch projects. Of all the things that we've talked about this semester, we probably spent more time with scratch than other things. Um, as I show you this project, I don't want you to feel conspicuous and like, oh my gosh, there's no way I, you know, don't. Sometimes that happens when we show a best, uh, you know, a real, a real good example. I want to show you Damien's, who's in our 11 o'clock section project, and um, his project uh, is a story. And when I originally saw it, I wasn't sure how to start it, but he did over here in the project notes say pre press spacebar to start. So you know, whenever you're not using the green arrow to start, it's a good idea to tell people how to start your project. So this was Damien's project. In a world of devastation and Just kidding. Hi, my name is Peanut. The story I'm actually about to tell you is about friendship. It's about the cuddle bear and snugglebug. And here in the forest is where the story begins. Here lives Cuddlebear, a friendly bear, but he's very lonely. I wish I had someone to play with and talk to. This forest is just too big for just me. Well, if I look hard enough, maybe I'll find a friend. Not too far away from Cuddlebear's search, there's a meadow where we meet Snugglebug. This meadow's just too big for me. I wish I had a friend. Wait a second. I can fly. I'll go fly to the forest, and maybe I'll find some friends there. Meanwhile, Cuddlebear is still wandering through the forest. This forest is so huge. I don't think I'll find anybody in here. to either building a website myself or 
paying somebody to do it. Do you remember the choose your own adventure game or choose your own adventure stories? The ones where you read and it says, if you want to go through the red door, turn to page 10. If you want to go into the forest, you know, turn to page 17. I, I think, you know, anyway, the web is set up so well for that kind of thing. And it'd be really fun to have a site, kind of like fan fiction, where people could write, you know, choose your own adventure stories together. So I think Scratch maybe is most compelling when we allow user input because, you know, we, we can't use a, a video, really, and, and click and choose something as far as a game. But this is a great example of an animation and a story. And today we're going to talk about digital storytelling and some ways in which um, students and teachers are telling stories and recording stories and sharing those to hopefully inspire you to think about that in your own classroom and also for your own life, for your own family, for your community, the town where you grew up, things like that. Um, in addition to showing you that um, project, I want to do an app share and I'm going to talk, uh, I'm going to show you a video about uh, using iPads in the classroom because it's really interesting. I have absolutely loved this semester more than ever having a class blog and being able to hear what you all think about things, uh, hear, you know, read, but, but be able to get some insight into what you're thinking about, um, some of the topics we've talked about in class and some of the presentations. And one of your classmates, was um, expressing some real hesitation about the value and possibility of mobile devices being used with young children and saying, you know, I this was the statement, I really think kids just need to learn to write their letters and, and to draw and, you know, technology doesn't play a role in that. You know, I absolutely agree that kids need to learn to write and color and do all those things with, with crayons and pencils. And so technology, for me at least, is not a replacement for the, um, you know, the art tools and, and, the, and the ways that we have for expressing. But there are so many possibilities of, of how art can enrich our experiences of creativity and allow us to do things that we couldn't do otherwise. So the app share today is a primary uh, example. I don't I, have I shown you Sticker Shop before? Okay. So this is a free app. You can get it for um, iPhone, iPad, iOS. I don't know if it is available for Android. I think this is it said in the flash screen, the flash screen that came up. It was created by the uh, state of Virginia. But as an example, and I need I ought to figure out. This isn't going to be nearly as neat if we can't see the whole thing. How to change my? Um, hmm. We're not. You're not able to because of how the monitors are synced right now. It's not showing you over here on the side. It says cost zero, given zero, and then there's a little book. Anyway, so um, I go ahead and click on the book and I select the sticker, and then it tells me how much that is. Ninety-four cents. <laughs> what you can't see on the side of the screen. Maybe if I rotate it this way. How about that? Okay, I'll make it smaller. This is, an, this is made for iPhone and iPod Touch, so you can make it bigger, but there you go. Now you can see. So you've got to drag the coins out to add up to that amount. And so you can drag them out, and then when you think you're ready to check out, you can hit the checkout button, and um, you're making change. So one of the things, 
and I'll try to check out early. Ooh, I needed four more cents. That wasn't right. So I'll get another opportunity here to select another sticker. <clears throat> when I was in Memphis uh, last September, I guess, I went to the uh, Presbyterian Day School, which is, I think, the most elite, expensive private school in the Memphis area. However, it's also a school that's now um, having a program of technology integration and, and conferences and professional development for teachers all around Memphis. One of the things that they're doing at their school, you know, they have iPod touches in their kindergarten room, in their first grade room on a cart where teachers can check them out and the students can use them in class. But they also tell parents about these apps because think about how much time we spend in the grocery store in line or in the car driving somewhere, you know, doing something like that. Compare the value of, you know, just sitting and not doing anything. Okay, there's my sticker book. I've earned a sticker. Yay! Um, my seven-year-old, who isn't playing this a lot now, but she still gets it out some, uh, doesn't like the fact that it doesn't save your stickers, so you have to start over every time. But anyway, think about the value of, of doing this uh, versus, you know, different alternatives and things that you could do. Um, one of the interesting things that's happening right now, we have people saying, you know, oh, technology is making everybody lazy and everybody stupid. IQs have been going up uh, globally for quite a while, and in the, in the United States, as we measure IQ, it's going up. Um, you know, nobody knows exactly what the reason for that is, but I think part of it is our access to media, our access to information, um, you know, I don't know, that's, that's an interesting topic to say. Why are IQs going up? Because that's a consistent finding um, historically. So I'm certainly not going to give IQ increases, you know, give the iPad credit for that or anything, you know, uh, to just say technology-wise. But that's just one example of an app uh, that's free. It's free. And it, yeah, and it's called Sticker Shop. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of games, um, you know, some of which are are more mindless, you know, some of which involve problem solving and figuring stuff out. In general, a lot of games require you to figure stuff out <laughs> and, you know, you, you uh, end up navigating and, and trying stuff. There's all, you know, there's all kinds of, of um, variety in terms of games, but <clears throat> games are very engaging. Um, students tend to spend a lot of time, relatively speaking, on a game versus just a video or something else that um, they might, you know, see in class. And so we actually have a grant project at OU that is, uh, de has developed and continues to develop a whole game-based science environment. And kids have these laptops and they play the game, which is this immersive science environment that's kind of like Second Life. Um, and it's very interesting because you know, the level of engagement and the amount of time that you spend is, is different when you're in a game versus when, you know, you're just seeing a PowerPoint or watching a movie or video or something like that. So, any thoughts about that or about Sticker Shop or do you know of any other apps that are like that, that are free that you think are, you know, hey, this would be great for parents to know about and put on their phone if they, if they could? Really teach them about using money. 
Yeah. But I, I mean, agree with your daughter. You should be able to save your stickers. Oh, right. Especially if you've racked up a lot of stickers. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be resetting. But I guess that's what we get for a free game. Maybe they weren't paying the developers to do that. Do they have one that you can buy? I don't think so. Um, I, I think. I'm curious if it would actually let you save it. Right. No, in this case, I don't think that they that they have. So, um, and I don't even know what else they've done. Here, let's. Maybe it's because if they if they let you save them, some of the people would write rack up thousands of dollars on the stickers. <laughs> I don't know. It might be. <laughs> You're not born smart. I tell them that too. You get smart. And you get smart by staying actively learning and keeping your brain engaged. iPod Touches have, um, you know, given us that ability to differentiate instruction. You, you really have no downtime anymore. Your time on task is hugely increased by just having them available all the time. Because you can say, all right, I want these people to work on this app, and I want these people to work on this app and we have five minutes until lunch, so go to it. You know a kid who doesn't, who can't be timed to work, it just stresses them completely out, they can be in a game that, that they have plenty of time that's untimed, they can play there. I have kids who just need to have stories read to them. You know, some kids were making up for five and six years of lost lap time. They've not sat on anybody's lap having a book read to them, and that's an incredible disadvantage for those kids. And if they can sit and listen to stories in every minute of their day and not have any downtime, then that's trying to make up for some of that lost lap time. Then I have other kids who are ready to read independently. These are not replacing teachers. We have to still be involved in the differentiating, the time on task, and making sure that we're having kids talk about what they're learning on there so that I mean, that's important for teachers to be involved. Okay, I didn't even know that video was there. Um, the video that I had planned to show you, and I've got linked on our page, says iPads for differentiation. And I had an opportunity in March, at the beginning of March, to be in Kansas for the MACE conference, which is their state conference. Our state conference happens in February, and it's called... Um, the OTA conference, the Oklahoma Technology Associations conference. MACE is the Mid-America Association of Computing and Education conference. And so I, I saw a presentation by a first grade teacher from Lansing, Kansas, and the tech director uh, from the district, and got permission to record the audio from their session, but I also recorded a short video. And so we may not see this entire thing, but this is part of the video that they shared at the beginning. And when I say the word differentiation, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to differentiate? Mm, okay, it can be. In the context of teaching, though, if I'm going to teach a differentiated lesson, have you heard that term before? Have you heard somebody talk about it? Okay, different ways, different options, right? Because your reading level and Joey's reading level sitting next to you, you know, are going to be different. So ideally, you're going to have books that are going to challenge you. Joey's going to have books that are going to challenge him. And they're going to also be of interest. And, you know, differentiation means meeting kids where they are. 
When we have individual education plans or IEPs because students qualify for special education, an important part of the IEP is differentiation, saying this child needs to have you, you know, um, provide visual um, visual examples of, of what you're doing or, you know, repeat instructions or, you know, this child's dyslexic and so they're going to need, you know, more verbal cues, um, not just uh, things on the page and written. So the truth is every child needs an IEP. Whether you qualify for special ed or not, nobody should actually be forced to just be the middle of the road, you get what you get, here's what I'm teaching today, I don't care if you like it or not, here it is. And technology can allow us to differentiate learning to a greater degree than we did before. And so that's what, that's what I mean when I say differentiation. And so watch for that as you watch this video and you hear Dan as well as um, the teacher whose name is... Jessica Asbury. time. 
How many of you have been in a primary classroom that has centers and that rotates between centers? A couple of you have. Is it easy or hard, you think, to manage centers? Absolutely. And a good teacher will make it look easy because he or she has the kids trained maybe by the time you get there and they know where to go and they know what to do and they've had the feedback. And they, But it is hard to get kids oriented to that style of learning because you're taking you know, responsibility for your own learning. You are, um, you know, in many cases, working independently. The teacher is able to give one-on-one or, or two-on-one, three-on-one help to individual students. A lot of times at center time, a parent volunteer will come in and they'll help at a particular center. So my vision and the vision I think is appropriate of technology isn't, oh, everybody just takes their iPad and they go off to the corner and they're quiet and they don't talk to anybody and, you know, they, they're off by themselves. That is a model of learning, and we have some people that want to promote that even for high school with online education to just say, great, let's just have everybody on their computer. They'll never go to school. They'll just stay at their house and, and get on their computer. That's a model. That's going to work for some people. It's not going to work for everybody. The most interesting thing they said <coughs> at this presentation was when the kids were choosing, because they had more iPod touches than iPads, the kids tended to self-select the iPod, the iPod Touch that they could have by themselves and they didn't have to share. And it's actually vital that kids learn to share and that they learn, you know, how to work together. And so watching that dynamic, you know, observing that with your own children, your, your you know, children that are in your family. In the classroom. And that's one of my struggles in the high school. My high school teachers are not better teachers. And so I need 25 Dan. They call me Dan when they want 25. Uh, I'll take one, Mr. Wessel. And uh, that kind of bothers me. But here's Jessica with one over, she calls it the mama pad. Um, sorry, if that share too much. It, it's, can the kids understand? Uh, this how she used it before. She's over with that. So if you want to, you can go in and look at the rest of this. The podcast of this, the whole presentation is available as an audio podcast, um, as well as notes that I took from this session. You know, it's unbelievable. This is a this is a first generation device that you're seeing them use. My iPad 2 is a second generation. It's not much different from the one. Okay, those are the kids saying, yeah, they've had a cooperate. They were just fighting actually a little bit before that. He said, and they're, that was talking about the collaboration. Um, where is this going to go in just a few short years? Um, I definitely think we're going to continue to see an explosion of these kinds of touch devices. If you just watch a child interact without having a lot of prior instruction and direct teaching, here's all the things you need to know about Sticker Shop. Now, you can pretty much introduce them to it, and then they can go to it and navigate in a lot of cases. Um, but there's a lot of other things that need more you know, teacher intervention that we can use. This is a tool. This isn't a replacement for the teacher. This isn't a replacement for the school. But, oh my gosh, it's an unbelievably powerful tool to be able to differentiate learning and to be able to make learning more hands-on. And as we'll talk about today with digital storytelling, not only 
make education about watching and seeing, but make education about creating and doing. I mean, that's what Scratch is all about. There's one thing I hope you walk away from this semester. It's, man, I, my kids could do a Scratch project. And they, they are going to be able to learn things and do things and show things in, in ways that they might not be able to with paper and pencil. And they'll be able to learn together with others in our class. They can learn from other uh, students in other places as well. So um, I'd like to talk a little bit about digital storytelling. And I put bonus topic. And originally, we were going to have two different bonus topics. This particular class is a, is a challenge for a lot of reasons. You know, we have 15 weeks together and the class is structured so that there are six projects and, and two of them are mandated. I don't have a choice about them. So the unit plan that you're turning in is a mandate. Everybody's got to do that. Smart board. Everybody's got to do that. So I really just have four different topics that I can pick as projects. And this semester I chose Screencast, Scratch, Google Reader, and the Pecha Kucha. Um, the, the number one thing I left out of the class, and that's why I want to talk about it today, um, is digital storytelling. And uh, I'm going to open a back channel for you to uh, be able to um, make comments and talk with each other on your screen as we're doing this. We have, we have used Etherpad, haven't we, to before? Did we do an Etherpad? And remember, Etherpad was bought by Google. It's open source. There's different websites that run it. Disadvantage is we can only have 15 people at once inside an Etherpad. But actually, I think we have less than 15 here. So I, I, I am going to create an Etherpad to use. If we had more than 15, I would use today's Meet. This is also free as a back channel. I can decide how long I want it to exist. I give it a name. If I, I'm using Twitter, this would be more like for a conference. When I go to the International Technology Conference this summer, the tag is ISTE11. So if I put that tag in, all the tweets that have that hashtag on it would uh, come into our, um, into our meeting room. So we won't use today's meet. We'll go ahead and use Etherpad. Um, I'm going to use, let's use iEtherpad. These are different sites that are providing free hosting for, for iEtherpad or for Etherpad. That one seems to be a little bit slow, or maybe it's just my computer. Let's try Pirate Pad. Okay, so what I'm going to try and do is say T4T, and today's the 27th. By putting that after PiratePad.net, it asks me if I want to create it, and I say yes. And here it is. So what I'm going to do now is put this on our page so you can link to it. I'm going to go to our schedule, edit the page, and I'm going to say um, 9 a.m. back channel. And I'll make that a hyperlink so that you can go to that now if you want. So if you refresh our page, you should be able to go here to our pirate pad. Remember, you can enter your name in here. Um, the disadvantage of pirate pad or ether pad is you don't know if people really are who they say they are. But the advantage is 
everybody can get on it without a password, without me knowing your email address. All you have to do is click on uh, iEtherpad. So um, I'm going to ask a question first for you to just uh, type an answer, or you can say it out loud. What are the websites you know about now for digital storytelling? That's one question. And what are the software programs you know about for digital storytelling? And I probably ought to define digital storytelling. So I'm going to put in digital storytelling. Let's see if Wikipedia has a definition for it. I don't even know if it does. It does. Um, so it says that it's the use of digital tools to let ordinary people tell their real life stories. Um, and so there are a variety of software programs we can download and use on our computer. And there's also web-based tools that we can use. So go ahead and type in here any websites that you know of that let you record your voice, that let you, um, you know, share a video, and just put, put those on a different line. Um, okay, it's still, it is. If it still says loading, go ahead and click the refresh button on your browser. Well, it's kind of a bummer. I don't know if the fact that you're using Internet Explorer, and I'm not, is the reason I'm using Google Chrome. I have tried my best to get the college to come into the 21st century of different web browsers. We're not all worshiping Microsoft today. We're not supposed to be. And uh, use something like Firefox or Chrome or Safari, but they won't do it. They won't install a new one because printer stuff will be locked down. All right, well, that was a nice attempt, wasn't it? Let's do something else. I'm going to go to, because I don't... I don't see anybody at all who, who could get into that from Internet Explorer. So let's do today's meet. I'm going to uh, make this live for a year. I'm going to call this T4T April 27. I'm going to say create my room. Um, and I'm going to say sweat. So I've got to link this up on our page. And we'll try again. My bet is that that had to do with Internet Explorer. But, you know, I'm always one to blame Microsoft's <coughs> software before something else. And I may be doing that unfairly. I'm not sure. Okay. I have saved that link. So if you refresh it, you should be able to go. And now we can talk. So I'm going to type my first message. What... Um, Software programs do you know about for DS? I'll just say that for digital storytelling. So that appears up here on the screen, and you can now click in the blue box, type in um, the name of any software program that you've heard about before that allows you to make audio, to make video, to share audio or video. And if you don't want to talk, and you can also say it out loud. Anybody used the program before? 
Okay, screener, yeah. If, I, if we had an assignment in this class to make a movie, what program would, would you use? Have any of you all ever made a movie? Or online? Well, anything. It's on your computer. It's a downloadable program or a program you can buy or, or one that's online. Okay. Windows Movie Player will let us play movies, so that's right. YouTube is a platform for, for publishing video, so yes. But in order to make a movie, um, Windows, has anybody ever used Windows Movie Maker? I just put that in there. Yeah. There you, well, it's coming. It's coming. Okay. Yeah, Windows Movie Maker, and then um, Microsoft with Windows 7 has come out with Windows Live. Movie Maker, which is a new version of it. Yay! Somebody said I. Mary said iMovie. Mary Kate. Um, you know, iMovie is what comes on Macs. Windows Movie Maker Live is some, is a uh, is the Windows free version. Final Cut Express. Has anybody ever heard of Photo Story before? So Photo Story 3 is a free program that Microsoft created. Probably the best free program that Microsoft ever made and it allows you to I'll be fancy today maybe um, and show and run this on Windows 7 um, Photo Story allows you to take still images and record 30 seconds of audio with those uh, with those stories or with those um, images and publish a video with the still pictures and with audio. So Photo Story is the program we use most often in our Celebrate Oklahoma Voices project to help teachers create videos. Okay. Um, anything else that you've seen? Does anybody have a flip camera? Did your camera come with any software? I know that there's a flip sharing program because my oh, sister yeah. has one and that, that helps you share. But I'm thinking that, and I don't have a flip camera, but I'm thinking that there's some editing uh, software maybe that at least helps you trim um, the software to you know, cut off the front or cut off the end or something like that to do some basic kind of editing. So um, what about, what about, um, Websites. Okay, good. Adobe Premiere. Hey, Katie's right. Sony Vegas. I had not learned about that until Michael West told about it. Um, so, do you know about any websites for DS? Somebody mentioned YouTube, and you know, it is unbelievable to think that Google provides unlimited hosting for your videos, up to 15 minutes in length. But if you're a nonprofit like a school, it can go beyond that. Um, what other websites do you know about for, for digital storytelling? iLife. iLife includes iPhoto, GarageBand, iMovie. So those are all, GarageBand's an audio creating program. iPhoto is a picture sharing program. Um, have you heard of Picasa before? What is Picasa? Those of you that have heard of it. I just realized you could actually make movies with Picasa. Yeah, you can only have Yeah. 
No, it it actually does let you um, create a, create a movie, and you with again with still pictures, but then you can put like a song with it, and then it makes a movie, and and you can share it. Yeah. So Picasa is Google's free version essentially of iPhoto, and it does run on Mac and Windows. I think you know most folks who are running a Mac probably run iPhoto instead of Picasa, but it's available for both, and it's free. There's no charge for it. So we, I helped with the Creativity Institute here in Oklahoma City last summer for, with about 50 teachers, and one of the things I was showing was how to make a fast movie, and we used Picasa because it's free and you know works on Windows and Mac. Import your pictures. It lets you do things like crop and do auto, you know color correction and red eye removal and you know stuff like that. But it also has a feature where you can create. Uh, I don't know. Can you? Have you made collages before? Cool. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't done that before. In the arena of photo edit, uh, photos, which you know, that's a part of digital storytelling. The GIMP is really good to know about because the GIMP is like Photoshop, except it's free, and Photoshop costs like seven hundred dollars if you buy it commercially. So GIMP is open source. There's a version of GIMP here that says for Mac. The one that I use um, is called Seashore, and uh, Seashore, like the regular version of GIMP, when you open it up, you know it lets you copy, you know, paste stuff from your clipboard um, into your into your program. Um, I so I can I can copy uh, a region of my screen to my clipboard, and then when I come over into Seashore, I can say, make a new image with the pasteboard or with the clipboard. And so it creates this image. I could also you know, open up a file on my, on my computer, but it's going to let me have multiple layers. So I can have a layer of text, and I can have a layer where I, I, I come in and draw you know, on it, um, and then I get to save that image. Okay, so that's Seashore, that's a Mac port of the GIMP, and the GIMP is, is a free program that lets us uh, create images. All right, I'm going to show off today. Um, one of the things I'm excited about is being able to uh, emulate Windows on my Mac. And so I've, this last week I, I was in Lubbock, Texas, Monday and Tuesday last week, teaching a two-day workshop on digital storytelling uh, for story chasers. And then um, I came here to teach class, and then I drove to Kansas. And Thursday and Friday, I taught the same workshop uh, in Manhattan, Kansas. So Photo Story is what we use for our workshop at the very end to put the, the project together. So we teach teachers how to make a project folder. And in one folder, you have your images. And so these are the pictures you're going to put in your story. And then you have your audio, and you edit your audio together. Um, so actually, before I get to this point, um, I end up working in a program called Audacity. Audacity is a free audio program. And you can have multi-track audio, which means I've got this little $50 recorder right here that I'm recording our class with. You can go to Walmart today for $35, get an RCA recorder like this, interview your grandmother, interview your dad, interview your neighbor, get their permission. Is it okay if I share this, you know, on the internet? I'm going to make a, I'm making a project. I'm doing an oral history. 
So Audacity lets you import audio tracks from different places. You can um, download audio from the web, for instance, and uh, use music as background audio. Um, and so once you import these audio files, then you decide how loud do you want these to be. You get to make adjustments. You get to move these around so they're not stepping on each other. If something is too loud, you can highlight it. And um, a couple different ways to do this. There are, there are effects that you can do. So you can amplify, you know, making it bigger. You can undo that. You can also reverse amplify. You can say, do minus four, you know, make that quieter. Um, there's a tool called the envelope tool that you can use and make things fade out. So I can make a little envelope. So I click there and then click here. And so that would make that audio nicely fade out as I play that on my computer. Is an atmospheric discharge of electricity accompanied by thunder, which typically occurs during thunderstorms and sometimes during volcanic eruptions or dust storms. This is the current definition of lightning from the English Wikipedia. But we know lightning in our family. Okay, so, like if you had music or something like that, you might fade it out. But that's Audacity, and once you're all done with Audacity, you get to export your file and we usually will export it as a wave and you're ready to put together your project. So that's where PhotoStory comes in. You could use Movie Maker to do this, uh, but PhotoStory is wizard-based and you just go through the screens and um, put your project together. Can anybody tell me how to select more than one image at one time on a Windows computer? What's that? Uh, yes, you could click and drag and make a box that cuts through them all and that's uh, definitely a great way to do it. Anybody know another way? The control key, right. Control will let me select just the ones that I want. Um, Shift, Alt will select everything in between. Um, I, use, I like control A that selects them all. Any of those work. And then you can just import all your pictures. You get to put them in the order that you want them to go in. And so maybe I'm going to want my statement about our family to go last. I also have a slide in here that has my image sources. So we've inclu I've included that. So I get my pictures in here. Um, I can remove the black borders if I want to or not. I could put text on it, but usually we don't encourage people to put text on. This is sort of Pecha Kucha style. If I wanted to, I could record audio on each image, but the way we teach people to use PhotoStory is to sort of trick it. You can put background music in the background, and so we create the audio file in Audacity, and it can have as many tracks as we want to, and um, you put that in with the music, and then that's your final, your final file. Then you can come in here and customize the motion, and you decide how long do I want that first picture to show. Maybe I'm going to just do this for two seconds. And then you also get to decide how do I want this to look. Maybe I want to zoom out, and I want to make this picture start with the funnel right there, and then get bigger to show the whole storm. I can click preview and it'll play from there. Lightning is an atmospheric discharge of electricity accompanied by... And I might decide, whoop, that's too fast. We have a little more time. So let's do four seconds for that. 
And so that's the process. Lightning is an atmospheric discharge of electric. Of going through your pictures and deciding how long do you want each picture to show up on the screen. So once you're done, you go to the last step, and it says export, and you have a final movie that's exported from your computer. So um, what I'm going to uh, show you now are some examples of some finished videos and talk a little bit about the Celebrate Oklahoma Voices project and what students and teachers are doing with digital storytelling. Before I do, though, let me show you um, two other resources. I'm going to Google for 50 ways to tell a Web 2.0 story. And this is an incredible project that a teacher named Alan Levine has put together. He's in Arizona. I'm going to drop this into our back channel here. We've got some admissions, I think, happening here. I'll, I, have you ever had a class, by the way, where you've had a back channel? You know, personally, I think it would be good to have these more often than we do um, because it, there's always going to be on-task conversation, off-task conversation, but what a back channel does is it gives you a window into what people are thinking and what, and sometimes, you know, if you're presenting and you're not having a chance to follow the back channel, you're wondering, hmm, what's going on now? You know, what's somebody saying? Because it gives you that opportunity to be able to um, have a conversation with people across the room. Um, so I, I personally think the Etherpad's better when we get to log into it <clears throat> because those, some of those conversations can be over here that are more chatty and then we can answer questions and things like that over here. Today's me, everything's all together. So anyway, this is the, the website that Alan Levine put together. And so when you go to pick a tool for your story, these are 50 different tools that he has tested and used to create a story. And uh, I've only used a few of these. He's continued to update these. And generally, most of these can include audio as well as um, including images. Some of them are, are just, you know, images. Um, he took the same story about his dog and basically made it with all 50 of the tools. And so you can go to his 50 domino stories and then you can, you can see the stories that, that he's created with these different tools. So this one's just images with the text. There's not, there's not an audio track. The point of showing that is there are lots and lots of different ways to tell stories using web-based tools and not having a program that you actually download to your computer. My favorite tool by far is called VoiceThread. Has anybody used VoiceThread before or heard of VoiceThread? Let's get really practical. Are you getting any Mother's Day gifts together this year? Anybody still need to do Mother's Day shopping? One of the things that you can do for Mother's Day, Father's Day, holiday time, is you can give your voice uh, and your memories and those of your other family members to parents, grandparents, and others. So VoiceThread lets you take pictures 
upload them to the web. You can keep it private if you want, or you can share it publicly. I'm going to put in mother here. And so here's the Mother's Day that we did back in 2008 for my mom. And uh, these are my kids talking about their memories of my mom. Happy Mother's Day, Nana. And I, this is just something so you remember what's happened in our lives and the great times we've had together. My memories of Thanksgiving always are at your house, gathered around your big dining room table with Trudy and Max and everyone having a big dinner. Happy Mother's Day, Nana. I love spending time with you, having picnics, and I hope we can spend more time together, especially when I come up there this summer in Kansas. Um, this is me um, playing in my swimming pool with my numbers, and I like swimming a lot, and I can't wait to swim this summer. Lots of things to say about this. That was not the first time Rachel recorded that. She did it several times to get it right. But each time she tried, you know, she got a little better, just like we did with our screencast. So tools like this can be used not only to give our families gifts and remember, you know, memories and, and get that magic of the voice on there. They also can be used to help develop our communication skills and our fluency and our writing skills and to you know be able to do all those kinds of things. So this is a personal example of a voice thread. I'm going to show you a school example. Um, my middle daughter Sarah did a, pro a book report on Helen Keller a few years ago and so this was a voice thread that she created and I won't play the whole thing but we'll listen to a little bit. One of my favorite books was Who Was Helen Keller by Gary Thompson. Helen Keller um, grew, grew up to be deaf and blind. And this book is about, uh, um, she wrote books and stories about being deaf and blind. Okay, now you'll notice there's other icons around here, and these are comments that other people have made. I'm going to skip to the end, and this was just a five-slide story, and I'm going to play the... Um, audio from Sarah, and then this happens to be her grandfather who doesn't live in Oklahoma and doesn't get to see her very often, and then we'll listen to a couple comments. This is a text comment, and this is an audio comment. Think about how a book report shared this way is different in some important ways from just a written book report that we turn into the teacher, the teacher grades, and gives it back to the student. You should read this book because it really impressed me with how smart she was and how brave she was, and it just really, really impressed me. Sarah, thanks for sharing this story about Helen Keller. It sure makes us appreciate that uh, we can we have sight and we have uh, can hear good as well too, doesn't it? 
wow, that sounds like an awesome book. I um, think that was a great voice thread that you just did. And um, I'm a 10-year-old girl from the United States, and I'll try to get my hands on that book. So here's a text comment that somebody's leaving because you can use text, you can use audio if you have a microphone, and you also can even use video if you would want to record. Sarah, I loved your book report, and I have loved reading about Helen Keller since I was young. I have another book to recommend to you. If you enjoyed that, you might want to read a new book that just came out called Miss Spitfire, and it's actually the story of Annie Sullivan, her teacher. It's written by Sarah Miller. I hope you enjoy it. So let me give you about 60 seconds. Turn to your neighbor, and I want you to talk about this, contrasting it with the traditional, I wrote the book report and turned it into my teacher. Okay? And if you want to put some stuff into our back channel, you can. But go ahead and talk about the differences there with somebody close to you. And if you need to move around, please do. Comparing this to the traditional book report. It gives, gives the child a chance to get feedback on what they did. Getting feedback. And from potentially an audience they wouldn't normally get feedback from. I mean, how often do parents get to come to their kids' class and see them give a report? Not that often. So like grandparents can input, other people can just go on and input without it being, I don't know, yeah, without them having to show up or even read a book report. Which and I don't know if you noticed, but as we played these, did you see the icons that came up? I'm going to mute it. But these icons, because I own it, let me trash the comment or let me hide it. By default, and that's what this little yellow thing is, there are new comments on this slide. I get, as the owner, to listen to this comment first, and I get to decide, okay, that looks good, to show it. So now it's visible, and that's called moderation. Just like we've moderated comments on our blog, and I did that to model, because that's what I think you want to do in your class. You don't want, you know, hey, we're going to all blog this year. It's going to be great. And then, you know, the first time somebody leaves comments, there's a bunch of profanity by an anonymous person, or there's bullying, and your principal's like, what are you doing? You're going to get us all sued, and it's going to be terrible. Moderate, right? Set it up to moderate. VoiceThread is set up that way so that you, as the teacher, get to approve. What else is different about this from a traditional book report? You were talking about how it would be cool to like, read a book together and then, like, 
Right. Get it interactive back and forth. Because, you know, again, with a video, I'm traditionally just broadcasting. Here, watch this. Scratch lets it be interactive. You know, choose. Which one would you like to do? Or make it a game. This can be interactive. And I can ask a question. You can respond and ask another question. And we can go back and forth. And even like presentations and stuff like that could be each person do a slide or something. Mm-hmm. Like that over top. Right. And I mean... We, I could do a whole, you know, I could do a week probably of, of uh, teaching and learning with VoiceThread on the different, you know, possibilities for what can be done. Because lots and lots of teachers are using this, and they're doing it for assessment too. Well, and like I'm an English person, and I love book reports. That's well, I don't love book reports. That's what I, 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 I love writing, but I hated book reports all the time because I like reading the book, but I hated to have to write the one page or whatever book report on the topic because it was just so much more interesting to discuss it. Right. And at least this way, versus having a discussion in class with teachers to listen to everybody who's coming out, this way they actually have, they could do the discussion in class, but they right. can actually assess each student on their understanding. And think about the kids that have great ideas, but for whatever reason they have difficulty expressing it through the traditional written mode. Maybe they are a second language learner and, you know, their speaking skills in English are better than their, you know, written skills or they're dyslexic, or, you know, fill in the blank. There's a lot of different reasons. In school, we tend to think one size fits all. You're going to do it this way. It's the only way to do it. Technology can give us more choices, can give you a bigger menu, and in some cases, it can let your kids show what they know in ways they might not have been able to with that traditional bubble sheet, or you've got to write it, you know, paper and pencil. Those transformative uses of technology I find to be most exciting. And I love it when kids get excited. How do you think Sarah felt getting that feedback from her granddad? Pretty fired up. So it doesn't have to go viral and have thousands of views to have an impact on the child. Motivation is so important. You know, if I'm motivated to do a good job on that assignment, I'm going to spend more time on it. I'm going to raise the bar. I'm going to try to do a better job. And it's not a silver bullet that, oh, we're publishing on the web, and now all of a sudden everybody is creating you know, Nobel Prize quality work. But it does happen frequently in classes that when students are producing work, and of course this is with parent permission. If we're going to publicly share it, we have the student permission, we have the parent permission. But when they're creating it for an audience that's bigger than just the class or it's bigger than just the teacher, the I care factor changes because my mom is going to see this or my dad is going to see this or maybe somebody I don't even know is going to see this and maybe they're going to leave a comment for me and that's going to lead me to another book because see, if this is a book I do love, I'm going to be excited to hear about other books related to it. You know, How do you change the world? One conversation at a time. And helping kids get plugged into books that they love and reading that they love and reading independently there are a few goals for us as teachers more important than that. Like the safety, like could you put like a safety on it like only, you know, a few people can... Exactly. So like you can put it on blog and mm -hmm. not be afraid. You have a full range of options. The first one I showed you, the Mother's Day, you can't Google for that because that was just for my mom and my dad. We just shared it with them privately. This one we publicly shared, and I'm glad you mentioned that, because when you go to the end, it has this option, Okay. Uh, get the link. Okay, so here's the link. So I can go right into our Today's Meet, drop in the link, and now you could click that link 
and go right to this voice thread because you can email that to yes like you can email it to parents embed all right our friends the embed code we've done some of this haven't we you can copy that put that on your blog or put that on your wiki you choose when you're editing and so I've just been in the view mode but when I edit this voice thread this is what it looks like when you create a voice thread it says upload there's three steps upload comment and share we put five pictures, you put them in order, then you can comment on it, um, and you can add your comments, and then when you click share, you can email it to people, so you put people's emails, like if you are a, a primary classroom teacher and you have 20 or 25 kids, um, hopefully you don't have more than that if you're self-contained, but you might today and because of budgets and things are getting crazy. Uh, you can put all your parent emails in there and send an invitation, and they get an email to, to be able to see it. When you uh, click this, get a link, look at the choices I have. Do I want to allow anyone to view it? That's turned off by default. You've got to click it to turn it on, to say everybody gets to see it. Do you want to let everyone comment? For a class project, I think that's a good thing, but always have that button checked to moderate the comments. Because that way you get to approve or delete the comments as you know, and if it shows up on the browse page, um, you know, you can actually get a lot of traffic for it. Um, my youngest, Rachel, when she was three, got a haircut and um, her, her voice thread is still kind of famous. You just browse voice thread and you put in the word haircut. Getting a new haircut has been viewed 64,296 times and has over 1,500 comments from people all over the world. And I, I don't go in here and, and moderate this very much. Um, I won't play the whole thing. I'll just play a little bit. But, you know, for whatever reason, this kind of resonated with people, and they thought it was cute, but it was also an example of what you can do with voice This is about me getting my new haircut. Um, what happened? I wanted my hair short. Um... So, I want a short haircut, so they cut it. Alright, so there's a lot of pictures. You can see there are comments that haven't been approved on every single one. I'll just go here to the last slide. We'll play a few of these. Um, and I'm all done, and it looks so beautiful, and I like it. So here's a text comment, and, this, and that happens to be a, a person I know. This is someone I don't know. That's a nice story. I really enjoyed it. Rachel, thank you for sharing this great haircut story with me. This was so wonderful to come home and find in my mailbox after such a long day. And you're very lucky that your daddy does take so many photographs and that you're learning how to use these tools. You are on the cutting edge, kiddo. Get it? Cutting edge? Okay, take care. Hello, Rachel. I'm a teacher in New Zealand. And I can't wait to show my students your fabulous story about your haircut. Thank you so much for sharing it. And by the way, you look absolutely gorgeous. Now, she could have written gorgeous, but that's not what she said. She said gorgeous, right? And she said it with her Kiwi New Zealand accent. There's power to voice. It's different than just having text. 
you know, and so. Right, definitely. You know, of all the voice threads I've ever made, this one certainly has had more views and is more popular. And, and you know, Rachel, because he's a rock star on voice thread. Um, but you know what I've seen happen, and she's seven now? Over time, her ability to express herself verbally has just continued to get better and better because having the dad that she does, I provide opportunities and encouragement for her to share her thoughts and her ideas verbally. And so the more that we get kids to talk about their learning and trying to find this picture, I don't remember if I... Okay, so here's Rachel today. This is like two weeks ago. My mom took this in our backyard. Um, you know, the more we practice, the more we communicate, the more we have those chances. Think about the traditional classroom and how many chances does the child have to present, to talk in front of the class. If technology can afford more chances to express verbally and to tell you what I know. And also, I mean, this can be a digital portfolio. This shows where the child is with their expression, with their ideas about a particular topic. So. Digital storytelling is my absolute favorite thing to teach, period. That's why, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm really thankful that at this time in my life, I have an opportunity to do something I'm so passionate about full time, basically. And Story Chasers is the organization that I'm the executive director for here in Oklahoma. So what I'd like to do is tell you a little bit about this and share a couple Oklahoma stories. And uh, I had a chance to talk with some folks at the historical, from the Historical Society in Altus. I was in Altus Monday and Tuesday doing workshops. And I talked to Rotary in Altus yesterday as well. And this whole idea of recording stories and recording history um, has a lot of reasons why it's important. So let me just begin real quick with some stories. This one is called Lillian John. Karen Joe created it right here at UCO in 2008. She's a teacher in Yukon Public Schools very short. I think there are only seven pictures. As you listen to this story, think about why it is a compelling story. What makes this a good story? <coughs> and I'm going to have to adjust my volume. Because got, this isn't the first video that she's made. So a lot of videos that, that teachers make, of course they're not Steven Spielberg perfect, right? There was an undercurrent of tension at the wedding of James Otten and Williams Tripley on that August day in Garland County, Indian Territory. Earlier, John's 13-year-old sister and Leona's 15-year-old brother announced they were in love and planned to marry. To prevent the marriage of Lily Lee and John, the Otten family moved from Garland County and settled in the community of Hart. Pontotoc County, Indian Territory. The Ottens were a proud family. There would be no hint of scandal or disgrace. Seven years later, when Lily Lee Otten was at the ripe old age of 20, she married another man, John Cokey Kitchens. Together they had seven children and moved to California during the Great Depression. 
there. In 1954, John Cody Kitchens died. On a visit with her oldest son, who had returned to Oklahoma, Lily Lee once again found her first love, John Stribling, who lived on the same farm that he had in 1900. He too had married and raised a family. His spouse had also died. They began to correspond and renew an old love. At the ripe age of 72, my grandma, Lily Lee Otten Kitchens, married John Stripling, now 75. They were married for over 20 years when she died of a stroke. When she died, she said hello five times, once for each child who had passed away before her and her first husband. But she never again said goodbye to John Strickland. Take 30 seconds and talk to your neighbor. Why is that a good story? So what made it a good story? It's real. It's a real story. It's not a made-up story. It's real history, not textbook filtered, you know, massaged, edited. I mean, that's the real thing. It's a story from her family. What else? Oh, gosh. Well, did she not talk slow? I mean, super slow. And did you recognize the tune? Anybody recognize what that was? The Red River Valley, yeah. So, I mean, it kind of set the stage a little bit, made you feel like you were being taken back a little bit. What else? What kind of story was that? A love story. It was a love story. And generally, people like love stories, especially ones where it's unexpected, right? She unwrapped that very skillfully for us. She could have said, I'm going to tell you a story about my grandma who was married 20 years when, you know. But that all came later, right? You learned later, oh, this is her grandma. And you're like, oh, they're getting married when they're 74. Isn't that sweet? They probably had a couple years together. Oh, my gosh. They had two decades together, you know. It was her first love and stayed on the farm. And that's... And how long have we been telling stories to each other? Since the cave, right? Since we first went out to the hunt and somebody killed something and dragged it back and we painted something on the wall and we said, let me tell you the story of, you know, what I killed or whatever. So our brains are actually wired to remember stories. No matter what you're teaching, no matter what grade level you're teaching, you need to think about taking stories into the curriculum because your brain and my brain will remember a story and humor too. Probably better than anything. If you think about the great teachers of history, they've used stories. If you think about a politician, a preacher, a stand-up comedian, <laughs> these people are going to try and communicate well, and they're going to use stories. So that's Lily and John. Next story um, was, I shared this because I was in Altus 
Anybody been to Blair Backdoor Steakhouse? You've been there? Mm-hmm. Best steak in Oklahoma, do you think? Or is there a better place to get a steak? Okay. Do you know a better steak place? Let me know if you do, because I'm serious. I think they have the best ribeye in the state. Not that I've been everywhere, but I always ask people. Blair is located about, what, 30 minutes north of Altus, probably? Altus, if you go down 44 to Lawton, okay, and and cut west and and head to southwest Oklahoma, about an hour out of Lawton is Altus, where Altus Air Force Base is. And uh, it's in the Wichita Mountains, and if you've been to Quartz Mountain, Quartz Mountain is just north of there, so it's a pretty area. Blair is the small town just north of Altus. So one of our workshop participants, we've had over a thousand teachers go through this workshop now. In 2008, in Altus, when we were there, Lisa interviewed her grandmother, who is a survivor of this tornado. And this is the story that she made using Photo Story.
it's back door now, but it was a sin building. And that was the worst cyclone we had. So I don't know what's going on with Granny Mac today. I don't know if she's still with us. But I do know that thanks to Lisa, she has preserved her voice and preserved her story, not only for her family, who are the ones probably most interested in this and that this means the most to, but for anyone to be able to see and for any of us who might study severe weather or might be interested in Blair. And the opportunity that we have today to create stories and share stories like this is absolutely amazing. One of my personal dreams that I hope we'll realize in the next year is going to be to have a mobile website, and, and maybe there'll be apps, I don't know, but like if I'm there in Altus or I'm in Blair, I want to click a button and say, where are the stories? Because if these walls could talk, they would tell stories. And if people have created stories like this and shared them, I want to be able to get them on my phone, not just be able to you know, see them on the computer. So... If you think about the phrases that might summarize the value of these projects, some of these words might come to mind. Some of these are in our curriculum, like reading, like writing, like speaking. But how about honoring? How about thanking? How about listening? We don't sit on our porches like we used to and listen to Grandma tell stories while we drink lemonade. And don't get me wrong, I love air conditioning. And the TV's okay some of the time. But because of different factors, we don't live in our extended families, we don't sit down and listen and ask older people in our family and our community to tell us stories like we need to. So this project enables us to do several things. And I want to talk about this idea of a digital witness because that's our motto is that we empower digital witnesses, tell you about Celebrate Oklahoma Voices, and talk about getting creative with media. This photo was taken maybe four years ago of my kids on a Saturday morning. Have I shared this before? Remember when cartoons used to be a big deal on Saturday morning? Remember that? Like for my whole childhood, it was a big deal. But when do you get to watch cartoons now? Whenever you want, if you have cable, right? Cartoon Network. And just how about the screens? That was Thanksgiving in 2008. And my wife's on a computer, my dad's on a computer, my mom's on her iPhone, my cousin's showing my middle daughter something. We're supposed to be watching a, a football you know, game. This is last year. It's not 2009, it's 2010. I said to everybody, hold up your device. She's got my sister who has a new baby. No, just hold cold. Don't, don't, don't hold a device. Oh my gosh, what's happened? Everyone has a screen. Have you counted the number of Wi-Fi devices in your home? Or go over to somebody's house who has a young person. How many things connect to the Internet in our house now? You know, they connect to Netflix and it connects to, um, you know, be online gaming with Xbox and all that kind of thing. So in the car, you know, vacations are different. This was driving up to Kansas in March uh, with both my girls holding their screens. And it wasn't that long ago we were holding big laptops. That's real safe, isn't it? We're in the car with these laptops. What happens if we slam on the brakes or have a wreck? That thing flies around. These little screens, what does this mean? Well, I think new screens can mean new opportunities for learning and for sharing our culture and creating shared culture. So Story Chasers exists to empower digital witnesses. And I want to tell you a story about where that digital witness word came from. Has anyone here been to Hawaii and been to the, the USS Arizona Memorial in Pearl Harbor? Do you have a bucket list yet? 
It's time to start one, okay? Make your bucket list, stuff you're going to do in your life. Go to Hawaii. It's part of the United States. You can feel pretty safe. Been to different countries. You don't always feel safe in the Caribbean, okay? But in Hawaii, I feel pretty safe. I've had a chance to go there twice. Well, actually three times. I went for a, the Library Association asked me to do a, a, a digital storytelling presentation a couple years ago. But with... Uh, for a substantial time, twice. And this is pictures of my family when we went uh, for a family reunion. This is my dad, um, my kids, this is my wife, and we're uh, going out to the Arizona Memorial. But when you ride the boat out to the Arizona Memorial, this is Battleship Row and this is Fort Island. Battleship Row is famous for December 7, 1941. Japanese fleet has a preemptive strike on U.S. forces and in a single uh, you know, attack, attempts to completely destroy the U.S. offensive naval capability in the Pacific. That one attack redefined naval warfare, making the battleship no longer the dominant way to project power, and it was replaced, of course, by the aircraft carrier. This is the USS Missouri, and is anybody a history buff to know why the Missouri was significant in World War II, World War II history? It was commissioned during the war, and it was on the deck of the USS Missouri that the surrender was signed in Tokyo Harbor in 1945. So in 2007, in December, I went to Pearl Harbor, and there were a bunch of junior ROTC students from Claremore, Oklahoma, that also were there. They flew space available on a plane from Tinker. They got to spend the night on the Missouri, and the next morning, tour around and have a docent tell them the story of the surrender. Interestingly, that docent who told the story was born in a town called Hiroshima, Japan, U.S. citizen now. And it was very powerful to hear him tell the story. This is a picture I took on the deck of Douglas MacArthur signing the documents. And one of the things that the docent told us was that as the document, after the documents were signed, our aircraft flew over the Missouri fully loaded with bombs, Bombay doors open, quietly flying over as a reminder of our capability and what we were willing to continue doing if the surrender was not signed. Today, this is what Battleship Row looks like. The Missouri is docked right next to the place where the USS Oklahoma was docked and was torpedoed. And this is Ford Island. If we were to turn the clock back to 1941... This is what we would see. This is a naval picture of the USS Oklahoma after she was torpedoed and had rolled on her side and there were hundreds of sailors trapped inside the ship. Well, in December of 2007, when I was going to Pearl Harbor for the dedication of a memorial to the USS Oklahoma, the big event which I helped facilitate with others was a video conference with survivors. Paul Goodyear was a signal corpsman on the USS Oklahoma topside the day it was torpedoed. And George Brown was a cook underneath the deck of the Oklahoma, one of those trapped trap beneath. This picture was taken from the fire station at Fort Island. And we wanted to have this backdrop for our video conference. We connected via video to 11 classrooms in Oklahoma and the kids got to hear these gentlemen tell their stories for an hour. And then we had an hour of question and answer, which was to me the best part. Because too often we use a technology like video conferencing to just tell people stuff. 
and it's interactive. Okay. So why do you think we were in the fire station in Fort Island? It's a little weird. The firemen moved their truck out so we could set up. Any ideas? Well, how are you going to connect to the Internet? The only people with high-speed Internet on Fort Island were the firemen who had a high-speed cable modem in their bedroom. So I went to CompUSA and got a 100-foot Internet, Ethernet cable, and we ran it back to where the firemen's bedroom was. There was no 3G wireless in Honolulu in 2007. AT&T was just starting to install it. And here's where the digital witness story comes in. Paul Goodyear is starting off. This is Dick Pryor with Oklahoma Public Television who facilitated it. Paul is telling a story and saying, well, I was on the ship and it was, it was, it was my duty and um, I was actually blown off the ship when the torpedoes hit. And he turns around and points behind him and says, it was about there that I crawled out of the water. And he describes what he was seeing, the carnage and the explosions and the yelling and the chaos. And I thought, oh my gosh, I am a witness right now on Fort Island. These gentlemen are witnesses to what they experienced and lived, but I am a witness to what they're saying. However, I have a chance to be a digital witness because if I record what they say and we share what they say with others, it's not just limited to who's here face-to-face. So that's where the whole digital witness concept came from. Um, I think that one of the areas we need to do more oral history work is with veterans You know, we're in the longest war ever in our country. We've been at war nine years. And that really got driven home to me two two or three weeks ago when I was at Fort Sill talking to those 75 soldiers and, and military civilians. Whatever you think about our president, whatever you think about our former president, we have families and service members making sacrifices every day. And if you don't know someone who's serving... Or, or if you haven't served yourself, it's easy to forget. So we have over 866 videos that have been created on Celebrate Oklahoma Voices since we started the project. And this project is an open invitation to anyone to create and share. You don't have to go to one of our workshops and, and have one of our digital storytelling kits. This is my friend Kevin Honeycutt who lives in Inman, Kansas. And we were driving back from San Antonio a few years ago talking about video and we were talking about Um, communities and we were talking about storms you know chasing storms now the storm chasers don't stop at the border well why should someone chasing a story maybe we should create the story chasers and so we have a a lot of different teachers around the state who have done this project we've now launched in both Kansas and Texas last Monday and Tuesday was the first workshop that we did in Texas I think I already showed you this quotation this video One time, this is from Douglas Thomas talking about why imagination can benefit when we let kids create content. Um, I'm going to skip over um, that video, and I'll show you one more, and uh, then we'll wrap up. Anybody here grow up in the Panhandle or know folks in the Panhandle, have family? What? Shattuck. Shattuck, okay. Have you read or or heard about the, The Worst Hard Time, that book by Timothy Egan that's about the Dust Bowl? If you read that, I knew, I knew the superintendent in Gage, which is in that area, and, and he, he read that book, and there were folks in his community still alive. There's a New York Times bestseller about the Dust Bowl, and there were, there's still folks you know, who lived that history. Well, this is a video created by Jeanette Hale, who grew up in the Panhandle in Guymon. Her grandmother turned 90 the week that she made this video in Oklahoma City. 
So here's a challenge. How does Jeanette, who's at the State Department of Education's computer lab downtown in Oklahoma City, get her 90-year-old grandmother's voice in her story when her grandmother's in Gaiman? Well, she used a website that let her phone cast, let her make a phone call and record her voice. And actually, a relative went over to her grandmother's house, said, here, grandmother, they prepped her, you know, tell us about what it was like to grow up in the 30s. And this is the story that she created. Elvis Franklin Gross traveled to the Oklahoma Panhandle in the early 1900s with his family. His father purchased 320 acres of land east of Gaiman, Oklahoma, 160 acres for each of his sons. Elvis Manton married Edith Melvina Baker, who had traveled to the Panhandle by train and covered wagons from Kansas as a young girl. Together they built a house on the acreage and raised four daughters, trying to make a living farming off the land. Farming is a hard living, but it was even more so in the Oklahoma Panhandle during the 1920s and 30s. The workday started early and wasn't over until the sun went down. The black plains had brown, fertile soil that left the grasses and trees found in areas where more rain fell. Horses were used to help plow and plant the wheat, and all of the plow farmland, combined with the high winds, contributed to the Oklahoma Panhandle being one of the major players in what we now know as the Dust Bowl. Sunday, April 14, 1935, started as a clear day in Guyman, but by late afternoon, the skies darkened, but not by rain clouds. Instead, the worst of the black blizzards hit Guyman. As the nation became aware of the dust storms, journalists such as Associated Press staff writer Robert Geiger were in Guyman writing a series of articles. Geiger used the term despo for the first time in print. Within three months, despo was being used throughout the nation. One of Otis and Edith's daughters, Maxine Hansen, remembers those days well. During the dirty thirties when the dust storms were so bad, one day I was after the cow to milk and I saw one dirt storm coming so I ran as fast as I could and got to the house just as it hit because when it hit you could see nothing. It was so black. My grandpa Gross ran rope to the house and barn and the chicken house and garage, so if him or grandma were caught out when one hit, they could get a hold of the rope and get to the house. There are lots of days we used a scoop shovel to get it out of the house. And when we went to school, we had to help the teacher clean the schoolhouse before school started. If one of the dirt storms hit, we were at school. We stayed until the folks came and got us. The wind blew terrible. Some days it would stop at sundown, but sometimes it blew for a few days before it stopped. And when it blew like that, my mother would bring a pan of water with a washcloth and wash our faces before we got up. We kept our eyes closed until she had them washed. In his April 15th release for the Washington, D.C. Evening Star, Geiger wrote, 
three little words achingly familiar on a western farmer's tongue, rural life today in the dust bowl of the continent, if it rains. Although many people fled the panhandle during the hard time of the 30s, my grandparents, Alice and Edith Gross, were proud and determined people who worked hard and persevered throughout the Dust Bowl days and the Depression to remain in the Oklahoma Panhandle. The land they worked so hard to improve is still being farmed today. All four of their daughters married and raised their families in and around the Guyman area, living in the promise of the better days Elvis and Edith worked so hard to make come true. Well, there's so many things we could talk about and analyze in that video. Just even the use of color. There's a lot of things that are said without words. The rainbow means things, you know, flashing forward to the current time. Um, a very impressive first video because Jeanette had never made one before, and that was the first one that she did. So we've got other examples. We've talked about this um, in our class, I think. Bloom's taxonomy, we talk about this with the unit plan, right? When you move up to the top, the creation level, you can not only get the lower level knowledge and comprehension, but you've got to make choices. You do an interview with somebody, they don't give you five minutes. Here, can you tell me about your life? Wow, you know, that actual process of interviewing is harder than the technical part. And when you have an hour of interview and you need to cull it down to three or five minutes, that's very challenging to do. We need in our communities to preserve these stories. And the Library of Congress has had a project called the Veteran Oral History Project for a number of years. And the focus of that project isn't ask the professional historian to come interview granddad or dad. It's you need to interview them. The death rate among World War II and Korean era veterans is higher today than ever before. There's a man in my men's group who just turned 90. He was born in 1921. And I just interviewed him two weeks ago. It was a four and a half hour interview. I didn't know we'd be that long. But right here in Edmond, he was one of 78 men activated in 1941 that went over to serve in Europe. And he served in World War II and in Korea. Of those 78 men, two are still alive. Warren Lee Peters, who lives right here in Edmond, and one other man who lives in Florida. But there is another level to this as well. Um... You know, the tools and being able to, to get the, the recording is, is something that we can all do. I'm going to skip through slides here. Um, but there's an important piece we don't want to miss. Have you ever heard that before? The bigger the lie, more people will hear it. Unfortunately, in our country, politicians have told us a lie so many times, we've really started to believe it. And it is that everything that matters in school can be measured on this. And we know as parents, we know as students, we know as educators, that is not true. We're going to take tests, and we're going to need to show what we can do on a test. But there's a lot of things that matter in school that you can't measure on a test. Did anybody see this movie, Waiting for Superman? Um, I had to see it in Dallas. It didn't come to the theater, regular theater in Oklahoma. It was at the Dollar Movie a short time. I joke that I found Superman, and he lives in How, Oklahoma. His name's Lance Ford. He wears a Superman suit to workshops at his school. Or at least he did. But that's not true. Superman or Superwoman is not a person, a single individual. It is the person you look at in the mirror in the morning. It is the person sitting beside you. It is the teachers who are in the classroom right now who are committed to education and kids, even when society is saying all teachers suck 
and administrators are horrible and we need to just cut funding and not support our schools because ugh, schools are terrible. There's a war going on right now in our profession. This is my son's third grade teacher. Bless her heart, she helped my son grow in so many ways and it wasn't just because she focused on the test. She had a relationship with him she got to know his reading level and what he, what he was interested in. She is a hero. And every teacher who chooses to teach is a hero. So think about the skills that are involved in a project like this. Think about how you, maybe for Mother's Day, might do a project. I've learned even when you're older, I'm 40, your mom still likes to get things from you. They also like their grandkids to share things. But... Think about the power of voice, the magic of voice, your opportunity to give voice and to preserve voice. We'll be doing some workshops this summer. We have one scheduled at OSU in their College of Education in June. We'll be scheduling some more in Oklahoma as well. Um, I hope this project is just going to continue to grow in the months and years ahead. And all the resources that we have and the videos that we have and those things are available for you and anyone else to utilize. So I'd encourage you to not only check it out, but share it as well if you know other teachers that, and, and others that are just interested in this kind of thing with oral history. So.